0: Uh, Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Genesis. And we're in Genesis 25. If you want to join me, and if you do not have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I always encourage folks to see God's Word for themselves. I say this often, um, but if there's any power in anything that I say today, if there's anything that is of eternal value that will impact your life long term, it's not in my opinions, it's not in my traditions, it's not in my ideas, it's not in my humor. It's in the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, and that is where the power in anyone's preaching is. Now we can drum up emotions, and we can manipulate and and things sometimes as speakers or as pastors, but that is not long-lasting, life-changing power. Power. that might be temporary, but we want the work that only God can do in our lives, and that's only through His Spirit and through His Word. And so, I always encourage folks to see the text for themselves, maybe if you're in the habit of making notes, if you have a hard copy of a Bible, if you're using an app or a tablet, you might highlight. Uh, if you're on an app or a tablet, I'm, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning, and uh, we'll read a, maybe a verse or two aloud. I rarely, if ever, put whatever our main text is on the screens. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I do that on purpose and it's just preference, it's just my—for me, I like for us to turn and to look and to see it for ourselves and to be in that habit. If I use supporting verses, I'll often throw them up on the screens, but I like for us to, to be together um, in God's Word and seeing those things. It's not wrong if we do or another—last week we had a speaker that did put up all of the verses there. It's just a preference. For me, I like to, um, to, to open it up and to see it for myself and maybe make a note here or there or take some notes. Little bit of review where we've been, Genesis 23, we had a funeral. Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah, uh, died, went to heaven, and we had Sarah's funeral. Genesis 24, we had a wedding. Abraham's beloved son, Isaac, was married to Rebekah. Now we're in Genesis 25, and we're going to have a wedding and a funeral. Uh, Abraham, who's been a widower for about 20 years, is going to remarry. And, uh, and then uh, he and his wife, who must have been much younger than him, because by this time he was well over, well up into his mid-100s, all right? We don't really make it that far anymore, but he was, he was it was a miracle decades ago that he had Isaac, um, or that Sarah had Isaac because of her age, and so Keturah, who he marries, must have been much, much younger, and they have six sons that we see here. So we have a, a wedding, and then we see Abraham's funeral. And Abraham is one of the key characters in the Old Testament. Uh, We've talked, we've been going through, I think this is message number 35 in Genesis for us. We have the creation of the world, then we have the fall of man, the sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, and the repercussions that came from that. And really the rest of the Old Testament is the story of God, uh, God creating a people that would bring forth His Son Jesus to be our Redeemer. That's the rest of the Old Testament, is really the story of the nation of Israel. Well, Abraham is the patriarch of that nation. It is from Abraham's generations, the Jewish people, that Jesus, God's only begotten son, is going to come to earth. So Abraham is kind of a big deal. He's kind of an important person in biblical history because he is, humanly speaking, the father of Israel. In fact, one of our songs today, we sang, ye chosen seed of Israel's race. Often in songs, we'll be singing about Abraham or those types of things. Why? Because spiritually speaking, we are a part of the family of Abraham. And so he's an important character, and today we see his death. We see where he goes off the scene, and we're going to look at some things in the passage today that I believe will be a challenge to us, and I hope also a help to us. Abraham dies at the age of 175. Let's look at our text this morning, the first 11 verses of Genesis 25. Genesis chapter number 25, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then Abraham, then again Abraham, took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimram, and Jokshem and Midan, and Midian, and Ishbach, and Shua, and Jachshem begat Sheba, and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan uh, were Ashurim, and Lutushim, and uh, Leumim, and the sons of Midian, and Ephah, and Epher and Hanok and Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. And it's interesting because we don't really—we know a, a little bit about a couple of those, but we don't really get to know much more about those sons. And then it says in verse number five, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Makes it clear that all of Abraham's inheritance goes to Isaac. Isaac was the promised, miraculous son that was the son of promise, the son of miracle that God was going to use to bring forth Jesus into this world through his lineage. He gives all to Isaac. Verse number six, but unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So he gave some money and some things to some of his other sons and told them, go settle somewhere else. This is Isaac's land and everything else that I have is Isaac's. Verse number seven, and these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which were lived in hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. Would you read verse number eight aloud with me? Ready? begin. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. An old man and full of years, died in a good old age. There are often places in the Bible where it talks about someone died, and he did that which was evil on the side of the Lord, and he died, or just, and this person died. But the Bible is clear to let us know that Abraham lived having lived a good and long, and by the way, not just long, but full life. It says full of years. The, the idea, as you study that phrase out there, is that he was satisfied with life, that he had, he had used his life in ways that were meaningful. Verse number 9, the Bible says, And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in, in the cave in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, which is before Mamre. And the field which Abraham purchased, remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at when he bought that, that cave for, to bury his wife Sarah. There was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. It's that same piece of real estate. Verse 11, And it came to pass... After the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well. So here we see the final chapter, the conclusion of a man that 100 years ago, at the age of 75, God had called to leave a land of family and friends and familiarity. To leave the land of Ur, a place of comfort, a place where his career was blossoming. And God said, I want you to leave the land of Ur, and I want you to follow me to a place that I'm not telling you yet and you don't know how it's all gonna work out, and I want you to trust me, and I've got a great plan for your life. And it's easy looking back, we have the whole picture, to say, Abraham, follow God, everything's gonna turn out. But do you know when you're in those seasons of uncertainty, when you're in those seasons of following God, and you don't know exactly what He's doing and why He's doing it, and where it's going, that it's not as easy to do, it's not as easy to take those steps of faith as it is when you know the end of the story? But we come back here, and we see that Abraham was called by God at 75. And what we see here is that for a century, Abraham had followed God faithfully. What a great testimony. Abraham had finished his course with joy. Abraham finished well. I don't know about you, but that's a passion of mine. Like Paul wrote to Timothy, I want to one day be able to say, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have, what church? Kept the faith. It's a passion. I don't just want to start well. I don't just want to have gotten saved at the age of nine, raised by a single mom, invited, walked into a Bible-preaching church, and had our entire family changed. I don't just want to have done well, maybe, or kind of followed God through my teen years and then went off to Bible college and graduated and did well in my single years, and then God brought a wife and started out well, and then God gave us children. No, if God tarries in His coming, it's a passion of mine that, that God will find me faithful unto death. I don't know if that will happen. Because sin is real, and so is my flesh. Sometimes my faith is weak. I don't know if it will happen, but I know that I can tell you as I stand here today that if it doesn't, on this day it was sincere in my life that I wanted to finish well. Like Abraham, he died in a good old age full of years. I want, I don't just want to have been an involved parent for the first few years or the first decade or two of my child-rearing journey. No, I want to be involved in my kids' lives as, Lord willing, if it comes grandkids and generations. If God gives us health and tarries and His coming, I want my wife and I not just to have been married for 10 years or 20 or as we are now, 23. I, I want it to be until death do us part. That's a passion of mine. And here we see Abraham, and as I was studying this passage, and I was talking to somebody yesterday about how going through a book verse by verse, you could preach forever in one book of the Bible. There's so much truth, there are so many different applications, so many different angles, so many routes to go go down and study, so many things. But as I was studying Abraham's life and really thinking about what we've studied to this point, and all the journeys we've taken with Abraham, and now we come to the end of his life, and what happens at the end is... Number one, he dies still living for God. He dies where God wanted him. He dies still fulfilling God's plan. He dies as a faithful husband. He dies as a loving father. And the next verse after he dies is said, and God blessed Isaac after he died. He dies and he left his family in a good spiritual position. God's still using his family. And I thought, I think that's what we're going to focus on this morning in this passage. I want to bring you a message that I've titled, Let's finish well. Let's finish well. What did Paul say in Acts chapter number 20? He basically said, if you paraphrase it, I'm trying to follow God. I don't know where it's going to lead me. Here's the only thing I know. It's going to be hard. All I know is when I get there, bonds and afflictions abide me. There's going to be some pain. That's all I know. And here's what he says in Acts 20, verse 24, but none of these things, what things? The uncertainties, the pain, the disappointments, none of these things move me. Here's what he said, so that I might finish my course with joy. Here's what Paul said, I can focus on the ways I'm being hurt, I can focus on the challenges and the difficulties, or I can finish my course with joy, I can't do both. I can finish with despair, I can finish with bitterness, I can finish with regrets, I can finish with anger, I can finish with pain, I can finish with heartache, or I can finish with joy. I can't do both. And Paul said, so I'm either going to focus on Christ and following Him, or I'm going to focus on what's happened down here. And Paul said, I've made the choice, but none of these things move me so that I might finish my course with joy. He said, I might do that, and then we came to the verse we just read in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 where he said, I have finished my course. Like Paul, like Abraham, I want to finish well, don't you? Can you imagine, Keith, you've been in this church 20 plus years, 20, 25 years, something like that. Kevin, Janice, you've been in this church 30 30 years. I see see, uh, Vincent Karen back there, you've been in this church 30, 35 years. Can you imagine if every person that was ever at one time joyfully, faithfully, excitedly serving God as a part of Liberty Baptist Church that still lives in Orange County, but for one reason or another has walked away or been beaten down by circumstances, or can you imagine what this room would look like? We would have had to build a new building a long time ago. We would have had to have three, four, five services on a Sunday morning. And I'm not here to criticize. What I'm saying is, it's so easy because of the circumstances of life to walk away, to quit, to back up, to back off. What do we see with Abraham? He finished well. And, and I want to encourage you, because here's what happens sometimes when we read the Bible. We think of these Bible characters we know, David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, Noah building a giant ark, Moses crossing the Red Sea, and we kind of, maybe it's, maybe it's just our imagination, maybe it's because there's too many superhero movies in our generation. Any superhero fans out there? You like the Marvel movies, all of those? A few of you? Okay. Nobody wants to admit it. And uh, there's more of you than that, because I walk by and there's long lines coming out of the theater when those things get released. Least. But, but maybe it's because of that, but we have this idea that these characters are somehow some spiritual superheroes. They have some superpowers that we don't have access to, they have armor that we don't have access to, and the the things of life don't affect them the way that they affect us, and so of course Abraham finished well, but I think this morning's message will encourage you as we kind of look back at Abraham's life and challenge ourselves to stay and finish well. One of the hardest parts of pastoring is seeing people fall away, get lazy, get angry, get bitter, get distracted, get apathetic, and follow their own plans. How many churches— would be preaching the gospel in Orange County if every pastor who at one time stood in pulpits in this county preaching the gospel then had to resign in disgrace or discouragement or scandal. If they were still preaching, how much more would be done for the sake of the gospel just in this county? Let's finish well. What kind of difference could be made for the cause of Christ if every one of us here today and those watching online would commit to following Christ faithfully until he calls us home, not allowing sin. Not allowing self, not allowing conflict with other believers, not allowing pride or discouragement to distract us and derail us. By the way, this issue of people falling away and people quitting is nothing new. Do you remember Jesus? He gave the picture of the four soils. What happened in that picture of the four soils? Only one-fourth finished well. 25%. This, this issue is nothing new. Jesus had 12. How many of them walked away at one point or another from Christ? All of them. All of them. So this idea is not a new challenge for us, but I want to challenge us in, in this passage to finish well. One of the greatest statements that our Lord ever made was one simple word on the cross, to die." What does that word mean? We translate it to mean it is. It is finished. I have finished the work that God gave me to do. To Tetelestai, paid in full. The debt has been paid. The price has been paid. The debt is canceled. I did the work that God left me here to do. And shouldn't you and I do the work that God leaves us here to do? Doesn't the one who finished his work for us deserve for us to finish our work for him? Would you read verse 8 aloud with me one more time? Verse number 8. Ready? Begin. Then Abraham gave up the ghost, and died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and was gathered to his people." A hundred years of following God. A full life, full years, eternal impact, furthering God's plan. That's what I desire. Warren Wiersbe, the commentator, the old preacher, said this of verse number 8, "'Abraham was flourishing and fruitful to the very end. How few people, he said, really experience joy and satisfaction when they reach old age. When they look back, it is with regret. When they look ahead, it is with fear. And when they look around, it is with complaint. Isn't that true? If we're not careful, we get jaded, cynical. And we look back with regret, we look ahead with fear, and we look around with complaint. Not Abraham. Not Abraham, and by the way, I'm about to encourage you because it makes it seem like I'm saying Abraham again was this biblical superhero. We've studied his life enough to know that that's not true. And if we're going to finish well, there are four things that Abraham finished well in spite of that you and I are going to have to be ready. I think these are probably four of the things that most often derail us from finishing well. And if we're going to finish well, and Abraham's life's an encouragement that you can finish well in spite of these four things, as we often do at funerals, I want us to reflect for a few moments over the life of the man we're saying goodbye to here in Genesis 25, the life of Abraham. What did Abraham finished well in spite of? Number one, if you and I are going to finish well, Abraham finished well in spite of personal failure. Personal failure. What were his personal failures? One was a failure of faith. God promised him a son. Did Abraham believe God at first, yes or no? Nope. A failure of faith. This is mighty Abraham, the patriarch of Israel. You go to Israel today, and Abraham is a very common name. It's one of the most respected names. He's one of the most respected figures. And you know what Abraham's story has in it from age 75 to 175? Times where he doubted God. Isn't that encouraging? Times where he wasn't sure what God was doing. Times where, in fact, not only did he doubt God, he literally didn't believe God to the point that he said, I've got to do God's job for him. I'm going to go—and it was Sarah's help, too—I'm going to go into Hagar and have Ishmael. Abraham, he finished well in spite of personal failure. I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from episodes in the lives of the biblical heroes that are less than stellar. Look at verse 12, the next verse, right after he tells us that he died. What does this say in verse number 12? As Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, pens the words in Genesis, what does he say? Now, these are the generations of Ishmael. The next two words. Who is Ishmael? Church, talk to me the generations of ishmael who abraham's son what is it it's like the bible reminding us he finished well in spite of personal failures in spite of that which came from his lack of faith hey don't forget yes he gave everything to isaac but don't forget he had ishmael do you have an ishmael in your life do you have a situation you look back on with maybe regret, man, I, I knew the right thing I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it? I, and here's what happens. We allow those seasons to become our story. We allow those chapters. I think my wife sent a text a while ago to our family thread, something along the lines of everybody has a chapter they'd rather not reread in their lives, but it doesn't have to be your whole story. We all have those seasons where we we lacked, we doubted, we did some things and there might be some long lasting consequences in our lives because of those seasons and we look back and say, God, I should have trusted you. God, I shouldn't have given in my flesh there. God, I shouldn't have done those things. But in spite of that, God still used Abraham and Abraham still finished well in spite of his failure of faith. Two verses after he's buried, we're reminded of the fruits of his failure. Not only the failure of his faith, but we see in his story a failure of integrity. Multiple times Abraham lied about his wife, and some of you in here, you think you can't finish well because you've messed up somewhere along the way. Let me let you in on a little secret. If you live for God for any length of time, you're going to mess up. This is not to glorify or justify sin. This is to glorify and remind us of the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the long-suffering of our Savior, and that all God has to work with on this earth today are messed up humans that at times fail Him. And what happens is we allow, a, we allow us the condemnation of our present to paralyze us for our future. And what do we have to do? God, yes, I'm sorry that I've done that. I shouldn't have done that. Don't continue to live in sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But don't also allow that which you cannot change to keep you from doing what God wants you to do in the future. You're going to let God down. You're going to let others down, and so am I. You're going to let yourself down. But a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. This isn't a free pass to sin, but a reminder that sinning is inevitable. That's what God's grace and mercy is for. Like, what did Paul say? Paul, the one that I just put it up there, I finished my course. What did Paul say? How did he do that? Forgetting those things which are where? Behind. I'm reaching forth into those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." What did Paul say? If I'm going to finish well, I'm going to do it in spite of my personal failure. Because what did Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I wake up every day and I mortify the flesh. Every day I struggle with myself, and Paul said, but I have finished my course in spite of personal failure. Well, I can't finish because I'm not like Noah who got drunk. I'm not like Peter who walked on water and cussed and denied Christ. I'm not like all the disciples who did great works for Jesus and all walked away with him the first time they didn't understand what he was doing. I'm not like Moses who who crossed the Red Sea and got the Ten Commandments and lost his temper and didn't get to see the promised land. Peter cussed and Moses lost his temper and Adam did the worst thing of all, he listened to his wife. Just kidding, ladies, just kidding. Isaac, who lied about his wife. Aaron, who made a false god out of their jewelry. David, who committed adultery, the Old Testament prophets struggled with depression, unfaithful spouses, broken families. Jacob lied to his dad. Personal failure is inevitable. If you've messed up, you're in good company. Uh, Again, I'm not telling you, well, that's just who I am. I guess pastor told me I can keep living in open and unrepentant sin. Oh no, if you don't know Christ as Savior, accept him into your life today and let him cleanse you of your unrighteousness. Become a new creature. If you do know Christ as Savior, today say, uh, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before, I'm going to press toward the mark. I'm not going to let analyze my past to paralyze my future. God, you've forgiven it. It's under the blood. Now we're moving forward and finishing well. Abraham finished well a hundred years later, even though 85 years before that he messed up with Hagar and Ishmael. He lived 85 years, something like that, after his mess up for God. All of our failures are why Christ came to earth. Accept his forgiveness and salvation today if you haven't. And if you have, live in light of his endless grace and mercy. Don't live in condemnation. Live in the cleansing, long-suffering, and goodness of God. Abraham, finish well. Let's finish well in spite of, number one, what, church? In spite of what? Personal failure. Have you messed up? So is the person sitting next to you. And if it's a husband or a wife, you don't have to elbow them and say, yeah, like I told you. So is the person sitting behind you and the person talking to you right now. If you're going to finish well, it's going to be in spite of personal failure. Abraham finished well, number two, in spite of disappointed expectations. Anybody there? Life hasn't quite turned out the way you thought it would. The dreams you have haven't all come to fulfillment. The fairy tale that you you had all planned out didn't quite work out that way. Abraham and Sarah didn't have children for decades when they wanted them. Then God promised him a son. And you know how long it took before that promise came to fulfillment? 25 years. 25 years of disappointed expectations. I don't know about you, but if God tells me I'm going to have a son, like, that's going to happen. And so that probably means, like, tomorrow or maybe next week or next month. For sure, and like, the next year. I'm not getting any younger, God. You told me this at 75, you're not going to wait till I'm 100, right? Surely not. Like by the time I'm 77 or 78, you know what Abraham did? He lived at 76 and his birthday, his 79th birthday and his 83rd birthday and his 88th birthday and a decade and two. And you have to imagine somewhere along the way, Abraham and Sarah, have you ever waited for something for 25 years? Said, yeah, whatever. You must've heard something wrong. You got it wrong. That's not happening. God's not coming through. 25 years of disappointed expectations. By the way, God did come through in that one. But then what else did God do? God promised him the whole land of Canaan. And did Abraham get to enjoy and live in, 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 in ownership, if you will, of the whole land of Canaan? The answer is no. That was a promise from God that actually never came to fulfillment in his lifetime. Now, it came to fulfillment. God kept his promise. God did not lie, but it didn't come to fulfillment in the way I imagine Abraham thought it would. It was Abraham's son and grandchildren and others that enjoyed the land of Canaan that God had promised. And God said, I'm going to give this to you and to your seed. But Abraham, that promise never came through the way that they thought that it would. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way that we And so what do we do? We say, well, I tried God, and it didn't go like I thought it would, so I'm done with that God thing. I'm done with that church thing. I'm done with that Bible thing. I don't know. I'm an atheist now. I'm an agnostic now. I'm deconstructing my faith now. I'm done with that. Why do we often deconstruct our faith? And those that do, often it's because of disappointed expectations. God didn't come through the way I thought he would in the time that I thought he would. Abraham finished well, but it wasn't without disappointed expectations. Number three, he finished well in spite of deep heartache. I don't like deep heartache. I was texting with Gina Young, who normally would be sitting right here yesterday, and she texted me in the morning. Her twin sister, Jean, Jean and Gina, her twin sister, Jean, has had great health struggles for several years now, and Jean's, Jean has been back there to visit her sister multiple times over the last few years, and she texted me yesterday morning and said, the doctors have said there's some fluid and some other things that's not looking good. I'm gonna, I, this, maybe this was Friday, and I told her, I said, can we help you get a plane ticket? Let's try to get you there as quickly as we can. Let me know the cost, what's going on there. She said, my nephew's looking at plane tickets. I'll let you know. And she texted me back again, I can't remember the timing right now, if it was Friday morning or Saturday morning when she was texting me, and she texted me last night, and I got a text that said, as I was landing, Jean is in the arms of Jesus. And as she landed, Jean went to heaven. You know what that is? That's deep heartache. It's the first day of Gina's life that she's been on this earth and her twin sister hasn't been. And three years ago, Gina said goodbye to her husband. You know what that is? It's deep heartache. And I'm not trying to hurt anyone, but I see Joe sitting here with a broken heart. You said goodbye to your your boy Joey, as he went to heaven about three weeks ago now. And others that are here, you know, not just there's deep heartache sometimes from the loss of a loved one, there's deep heartache because of the actions of a loved one. And Abraham knew something about deep heartache. His beloved wife of decades died. And he was a widower for 20 years. That's not e- I haven't walked that path. But those of you that have widows and widowers, that's not easy, is it? It's not an easy road to walk. And yet Abraham finished well in spite of deep heartache. Ishmael, the boy, his firstborn son. We sometimes forget about this because we view Ishmael in a, in a pretty negative light for good reason. But for Abraham, Ishmael was his boy. Ishmael was his firstborn son. That was, the, that was the child that made him a dad. And you know what happened? On a day's notice, somewhere in his teen years, Abraham had to say goodbye to his teen son and, that we know of, never to see him again. See ya. What is that? And by the way, that wasn't Abraham's choice. That was Sarah's choice. You don't think that caused a little conflict and contention in the marriage? What did Abraham know? Abraham knew something about deep heartache. What does the Bible talk about? The fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus knew a little something about deep heartache. And that's why he can be that God that gives us comfort. It's why we can bring our our heartache, our hurts, our pains, our betrayals. We can bring those things to him. And he sticks closer than a brother. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. If we finish well, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And then lastly, let's finish well in spite of personal failure. Keep going. Don't let Satan get you living in condemnation. Thinking God could never use me again. I'm done. I've done too much. I've messed up too much. God can't use me. Don't let your personal failure keep you from finishing well. In spite of disappointed expectations, life didn't turn out all the ways you thought it would. Keep going. In spite of deep heartache, and number four, in spite of family tragedy. Who was the one family member that Abraham brought with his wife, Sarah, when he left Ur? Who did he bring with him? Anybody remember his nephew? Lot? why would that be? You have to imagine. There was a deep love and respect for each other. He said to Lot, we be brethren, we're family. That was who he loved. And what did Lot do? Lot, really the closest family member Abraham had outside of his marriage, Lot chose a path that wasn't pleasing to God. Lot moved into Sodom. Lot, the last time we see Lot in the Bible, he's drunk in a cave, Having impregnated his daughters who took advantage of him physically. That's Abraham's family. Family tragedy. Lot, the one that he loved, had had, had had his family destroyed, had made bad decisions in his parenting, had made bad decisions in his own life. One of his own sons, Abraham's own sons, Ishmael, hated another one of his sons, Isaac. Ishmael hated Isaac. We don't know a whole lot about his six sons from Keturah, but we do know that one of them, Midian, was the father of the Midianites, noted enemies of Israel, Isaac's family. The Midianites, as you read the Old Testament, are often the ones fighting against Isaac's family, Israel. Abraham's son from this wife was fighting for centuries with his son from this wife. One of of, uh, the the sons that Abraham fathered with Keturah fathered a man by the name of Bildad. Anybody remember that name, Bildad? That was one of Job's harshest critics. Bildad. Not, Not a real good guy in the Bible. We don't know a whole lot about these sons, but we do know that uh, Midian was that, and, and one of them, Father Bildad. And often in the Bible, a person's name was a description of their life or character. Often in the Bible, they would name them, even God renamed, He said, you're no longer Jacob, which means deceiver. So Jacob had been named Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter. You're now Israel. You're the father of many. And often names tell us a whole lot about the life and character of someone. You know what Abraham's sons from Keturah meant? Jokshen in, in verse 2. It means difficult or scandalous. Ishbak means forsaken, empty, or abandoned. Midian carries the connotation of judgment. Shua, the youngest of Keturah, means pit, crying, or humiliation. What does this tell us? Some we know and some we can kind of Surmise. Abraham knew something about heartache from those he loved the most. Decisions, family tragedy, decisions by those he loved deeply that deeply wounded him. There are a few tragedies that hurt like family tragedies. There's no pain like the pain of betrayal and failure by those who are closest to us. The older I get the more that I learned that most families walk through some deep pain and heartache with their family somewhere along the way. And you know, sometimes we think it's just us. Nearly every person sitting in this room has faced some deep family tragedy of some sort. Stop and think about that. You know what I found out in counsel as I'm learning what it is to parent teens and adults for the first time, and as I'll reach out and seek counsel or talk to people that are 10 or 15 or 20 years ahead of me, you know what I found out as I counsel with pastors that are 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road farther than me? It is the rare pastor, in fact, I really can't think of maybe one, the rare pastor that I talk to that doesn't have some story of one of their children or loved ones having some deep family tragedy. Some thing that has broken their hearts and there's nothing they can do to fix it. Unexpected sickness or death, suicide, sinful addictions, sexual perversion, a spiritual rejection of our faith. Our children want nothing to do with the God we love and serve. Criminal actions, foolish dating or marriage choices, abandonment of the family, cutting off communication. And the list could go on, and as I read that list, one or more of those hit just about every one of you somewhere. And somebody came to mind. Yep, that one that I love there died in a tragic death, and that's a, that's a tragedy that I carry that hurts. It caused me to question, God, why? Yep, somebody I love dearly took their own life. Somebody I love dearly has rejected my faith. Somebody, one of my children is married and then that marriage has caused great heartache. They've chosen a different path. You know what happens when those things that, that to be honest are almost universal in our lives? What do we do? We beat ourselves up, don't we? And here's what happens. We second guess ourselves. We wonder what's wrong with us, what we could have done differently. And, and by the way, all of those things are natural. And here is the reality. As you stop and take inventory, when you, one of your children breaks your heart or a spouse breaks your heart or a, 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 a sister or a brother or a mom or a dad, here's the reality. When you're looking for something you could have done differently because you made a mistake, you will always find it. Because all of us have made mistakes. There's no such thing as the perfect husband or wife. No such thing as the perfect mom or dad. And so when there's a family tragedy, here's what happens. And I'm not saying it's, it's it's wrong to learn from it, and even if you've done something that you know is wrong, to make it right, and to apologize, and to come before a loved one. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm not saying introspection is all bad, but introspection to the point of complete discouragement, introspection to the point of, I'm done. I'm done with this thing. I'm not going back. I'm done with God. I'm done with family. I'm done with people. That is bad. What happens is, we, we sit there, and then we focus all of our energy there, and how can I fix this, and why did God, allow this, and it's enough to shake our faith if we let it, but, but it's not worth it to let that shake our faith. We, we can't let it shake our faith if we're going to finish well. So I think it's encouraging to remind you that even the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11 face betrayal and failures and tragedies in their marriages and in their families. Uh, you, you know who else faced one or more of the things on our list, the fourth thing, uh, the, the list I gave you of unexpected sickness or suicide or sexual perversion or sinful addiction, spiritual rejection of our faith, criminal actions, foolish marriage choices, abandonment of their family. You know who else faced those things? Job. Job had major marital problems. His wife told him to curse God and die. She was done with God. Hosea had a wife who was a prostitute, the prophet Hosea. David had a son who raped his daughter. David had a son try to murder that son that had raped his half-sister, David, whose best friend's dad tried to murder him, Paul lost every close friend and associate and his career success because he got saved and chose to follow God. Everyone that was like family, in fact, Toby England, who did our Tuesday night apologetics, such helpful stuff. He'll be back on Tuesday night at 630. I was talking to him before the service, and I said, do you think the apostle Paul was married? I only told him that because I was trying to set him up for my joke that I use on you guys a lot. I believe the Apostle Paul was married, because the Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh, and that's my joke. And I was trying to set him up, and I said, do you, do you think the Apostle Paul is married? Almost every pastor I asked says no, because Paul says at one point, I, "I would everybody be single like I am? And he looked at me seriously and said, yes. I was kind of like, you ruined it. You ruined my joke. <laughs> and, and I was like, he said, I, I really think it's very plausible that he was married at one time. I said, why would you say that? He said, because of everything that he describes about how high up he was, he would have been either in the Sanhedrin or on the level of Jewish leaders, and it would have been a requirement for somebody with the authority that he had to have been married. He said, now, it's possible that he wasn't, but I would say, and I can't prove that he was, but he said, and I said, I've never heard anybody say that. That's interesting. He said, I would find it very plausible that the apostle Paul was married. And then I said, here's what I said. I said, well, if that's the case, then what do you think happened? And here's what he said. He said, if he was married, what I believe is when he got saved, his life was so radically changed, his wife said, I'm done. I have nothing to do with this. I'm not go. I, I was good with the life we had. We had a comfortable life, wealthy. We were doing good. You were in charge. You had power. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But what I do know is everybody that was family or like family for Paul pre-salvation wasn't there after salvation. What happened? Paul lost the closest relationships in his life by following Jesus. Uh, Isaac, his own son, lied to him, and which led to Isaac's twin brother not talking. I'm uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. Uh, Jacob's twin brother not talking talking to him for decades, Jacob, whose 11 sons sold his favorite son Joseph into slavery and then faked his death and lied to their dad. And for decades he lived believing that his, his son, his beloved baby boy, had been murdered by animals. For decades he lived with that tragedy, only to find out Joseph decades later was still alive and then to live with the pain to know, my 11 boys knowingly let me live with that tragedy. These are the heroes of the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the the patriarchs of Israel, David, Moses, Paul. And we think there's some superheroes that didn't walk through what we walked through or had some kind of spiritual armor that we don't have access to. And I'm here to tell you, they serve the same God that you and I serve. They had the same flesh that you and I have. They struggle with the same things that you and I struggle with. And yet, they finished well. The encouragement is, you're not the first to walk through these. Let's finish well. Let's die if God lets us of an old age full of life, full of years. Here's the reality, church life hurts. Man that is born of woman, the Bible says his days are few and full of trouble. I know that's not going to get me a TV broadcast, but life hurts. We live in a sinful, broken world, love hurts at times. Loving people hurt sometimes. And here's the reality. If you're looking for a reason to throw in the towel, accuse God, and walk away from Him, you'll find one somewhere along the way. There will be a personal failure, a disappointed expectation, God didn't come through the way you thought He would, a deep heartache or a family tragedy that if you're looking for a reason to walk away, you'll find one. But let's be like Abraham, who lived for God for a hundred (laughs) years, but not without tears, not without regret, not without shame, not without sin, not without frustration, not without seasons of doubt, and yet God used him. Which of those four that we listed this morning is shaking your faith this morning? Is it a personal failure? A disappointed expectation? A personal heartache or a family tragedy? It's tempting you to walk away from God, from his word, from your church family. Don't do it. He is worthy. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He can give you the strength that you need to walk the path you find yourself on. Ultimately, Abraham's life brought honor and glory to God and was used to further his plan of the gospel and to bring Christ to earth. And God can use all of those things in our lives to fulfill his plan for us. Old Testament Saul started well and finished terribly. New Testament Saul started terribly and finished well. You can't change how you started, but you and I can have a part in how we finish. No matter how you started, let's finish well. And by the way, I closed my Bible, I forgot, there's one more verse I want you to see. Would you go to Genesis 26? I thought I was almost done, I got three more minutes. Genesis 26. By the way, generations behind us will be blessed because of it if we finish well. That's what happened for Abraham. And how did Abraham do it? Abraham finished well, it's, it's going to take two words. How are you going to finish well? Two words, faith and faithfulness. Would you say those with me this morning? Faith and faithfulness. One more time, faith and faithfulness. It's going to take faith in God's promises and faithfulness to God's plan. Look at the next chapter, Genesis 26, verse number 5. It's talking about how God is using and blessing Isaac and reconfirms the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac. And it says here in verse 5, because that I'm blessing those behind him, and Abraham didn't get to see these blessings, but I'm blessing them because that Abraham obeyed my voice. What was God's voice? Trust me, Abraham. Go where you don't understand. What was that? It was faith. because. Abraham trusted me when he didn't know what was happening. He followed my word when it didn't make sense. He trusted me. He obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And isn't that a beautiful verse? Because what did I just spend the last 30 minutes doing? I spent the last 30 minutes reminding you of all the ways Abraham messed up, because that encourages me. And I wanted you to be encouraged. Isn't it fun to see someone else's misery? isn't it? Oh, come on. I'm not the only one, right? Like, that encourages me. I'm not the only messed up one trying to serve God. But don't you love that when it was all said and done, how did God remember Abraham? He obeyed my laws, my commandments, my statutes, beautiful forgiveness, beautiful mercy, the way that God sees us. He's not there. He's not the accuser of the brethren. That's Satan. God is there as the Savior of us, as, as our Savior, our Messiah, the one who loves us and redeems us and forgives us. And he says, what do we see? He says, Abraham trusted me, faith in my promises, and he was faithful to my plan. Do what he says when you don't understand how it will turn out. Daily keep his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. Faithfulness for another day. You want to finish well? You want to finish life well? Guess what? None of us know when our life's ending, right? Could be today. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Could be tomorrow. I'm spending a week with a bunch of teenagers at teen camp. It might happen to me this week. We don't know. It might be a year from now. It might be a decade from now. It might be for some of us 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now. For some of you doing the math, like, I don't think it's going to be that long for me. We don't know. But that's really hard to think. Man, I'm going to make it all the way to whatever that unknown end point is and finish well. You know, if you want to finish well there, you know what you need to do? You need to finish well today. You need to live for God today. You need to wake up tomorrow and live for God tomorrow. I had a Bible college vice president that would preach, and he had a saying. He would say, faithfulness is measured in decades, not years. He would say, faithfulness is de- measured in decades, not years. But then he had a message that he preached to us, and it was a little placard on his desk. And the the title of the message was, Live for God Today. And his whole message was this, you want to be faithful, he was training a bunch of people that were training to serve God in vocational ministry, as as preachers and missionaries and different things, and he said, hopefully you're not just going to go and serve in a church for a year or two and then quit on God, you're going to be faithful for a lifetime. And he would say, faithfulness is measured in decades, not years, and here's how you stay faithful for decades, you live for God today. And he would say, don't worry about living for God next year, wake up tomorrow and live for God tomorrow. And then wake up on Tuesday and live for God on Tuesday. And wake up on Wednesday. And, and he said, before you know it, you'll have lived for God for a week. And then do it again the next Monday. And before you know it, you'll have lived for God for two weeks. And then live for God the next day. And before you know it, you have lived for God for a month. And before you know it, you have lived for God for a quarter. And then you've lived for God for a year. Look at me. I live for you for a year, God. I'm pretty good. I stack 365 days on top of each other. And before you know it, you live for God for two years, and three, and five, and ten. And before you know it, it's like some in this room, you're looking back and saying, where did 30, or 40, or 50, or 60, or 70 years go? God, you, you, with your strength, not my own power, but with your daily manna, with your daily grace, your mercies are new every morning by me dying daily. The Christian life is a daily endeavor. Don't worry about what, what's, what's it going to look like in 2024. What's it going to look like in 2030? 34? What's this world coming to? What's happening in next year's election? What's going to happen in California? How's this going to go? What's going to happen with tax? Forget all about that. Wake up tomorrow and live for God today. And live for God today. You know what Abraham did? He lived close to 63,000 days. He lived for God for about 37,000 of those, and he finished well. Let's finish well, and if we do, it's going to be in spite of those four things. And it will be because you choose faith and faithfulness. I'm going to trust God and follow his word when I don't understand it. And I'm just going to stack one day on top of another. I'm going to live for God today. Church family, church family, let's finish well. If God gives us health and strength and wants us to stay living in Orange County, I pray that 10, 15, 20, 25 years, many of us are are still serving God together. And some of us maybe have grandkids in the church and other things, and decades from now, we're still serving. Let's, and if we're not supposed to live in Orange County, and he sends us somewhere else, I pray that I'm seeing updates, and you're seeing updates of me on whatever the new thing's going to be, because Facebook's already for old people, they tell me. I'm still on it, all right, don't get offended. But the teenagers don't use it anymore. I hate to let you know, adults, they're not on there. There's going to be some new thing, and we're going to get an update, some virtual reality update you're going to send me on my goggles, (laughs) of you living for God wherever He's put you. Let's finish well. In spite of personal failure. In spite of disappointed expectations. In spite of deep heartache. And in spite of family tragedies. Don't let those things from within and without derail you. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.